Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tucker Milling. Join Andy Schneider, national spokesperson for the USDA APHIS Avian Health Program, editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer magazine, and author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, Chicken Factor Chicken Poop, and Zero Waste Chicken Keeping, as he welcomes top poultry veterinarians, poultry scientists, and poultry nutritionists to discuss the hot topics in the poultry world today and provide science-based, fact-based, study-based information to help you raise the healthiest poultry possible. And now, here's your host, Andy Schneider. All righty. Thank you very much for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tucker Milling. It is so good to be back. And yes, you can tell I sound a whole lot better than I did on the last episode a couple of weeks ago when I was recovering from many, many different ailments. And even since then, I had another pretty serious ailment that landed me in the uh, hospital, but we've got um, an official diagnosis. This um, issue started to occur back after my surgery, and then it reared its ugly head again after COVID. And um, but but yeah, we have an official diagnosis, and I'll have a procedure in about a month, and then I'll have surgery two weeks to a month after that to correct uh, the issue, and then hopefully I'll be 100% and on the road to recovery the way I've been for the last 52 years. Boy, you turn 50, and, uh, man, it starts to go downhill. So um, I guess it, I don't know, some people say I guess it beats the alternative, but (laughs) I've had some days that I'm like, I'm not so sure. But thank you for all the emails um, and and the uh, warm thoughts and prayers. Uh, I got a, a fabulous email I probably need to share from a young lady that talked about the show, how long she's been listening, the value she gets out of the show, other shows she listens to that she thought was going to be, you know, have some good content that just one day she was listening and it was just, oh my gosh, these guys have gone off the deep end and I know that's not true or I know that's false or that's not science-based or whatever the case may be. And uh, it, it kind of busted her bubble, but uh, I really appreciate you. you know you know who you are. <laughs> that was a really nice um, email that you sent. And I do need to share it and scratch out your name and whatnot, but um, it was nice because after 12 years of doing the show, really over 1,200 episodes, a lot of fans are like family. I saw them on the road for a decade traveling and doing all the events and things like that. So um, you get to meet these folks firsthand, face-to-face, and they listen to you once a week for years, and you almost become like family. So thanks so much for all of that, and I am on the road to recovery. I'm feeling actually pretty fantastic right now, uh, and I'm getting out a little bit more, so 
the show must go on. But today we have a great show lined up for you today. I'm not even going to go to commercial break. Uh, first thing, uh, mites and lice. And we, we've done this show plenty of times in 12 years, but I've started to notice here in the last two weeks a lot of posts about mites and lice and chickens. You know, uh, I just saw mites, uh, or I just saw lice, or what's the difference between the two? And I heard some, you know, kind of come out at night and hide during the day, and they get on the chickens at night and then crawl off the chickens and, uh, as the sun rises, and they go hide in the nest boxes, in the nest box curtains, underneath the roosts. Um, so you may not really ever see them, mites anyway, <laughs> on your uh, chickens, because a lot of them will, I think it's the uh, northern fowl mite, the red mite, Dr. Um, Pateski, our guest, will uh, emphasize all of that, uh, come out at night. They get on your chickens and then off your chickens. But lice, uh, my understanding that they're on the chickens all the time. That's their life cycle. They lay the eggs there, the whole nine yards. So two two different issues here, two different probably presentations. Uh, maybe two different types of treatments. Maybe some will overlap. But we've done this show a lot in the past with several different poultry experts. But again, since I've seen a lot of this lately in the last two weeks, people having a lot of questions. What's that do I use? How do I use this? Is there anything natural that I can use for this? Before I move on to maybe the more chemical-laced additives and official medications, you know, something more natural. And I'm sure, I've been on the show for a long, long time, we'll be talking about prevention. You know, uh, prevention is key, and that's going to roll back into a term we always hear, which is biosecurity. Um, so if we can prevent the mice and lice, uh, mice, mites and lice, then that's that's what that's the battle. That's over half the battle right there. But then when you have it, when you identify it, you pick up your chicken, you see them crawling on your hand, you see them in the nest box. Um, and that type of thing. You see their eggs there at the shafts of the feathers, different things. Then you have you need a plan of action. So uh, no commercial right now. We'll hit that in about 20 minutes. But let's head over to the phone lines, and we'll bring on our good friend, poultry veterinarian, Dr. Maurice Pateski out at UC Davis. And um, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And, again, I don't want to say we beat this topic like a dead horse because it is very prominent. We, we see posts every day about this. But I have seen an increase, and I don't know – it's the time of year, or just coincidence, um, lately about the uh, mites and lice. And, and they, a lot of them may be new folks that just got chickens in the spring, and then now this is their first episode with these, and they're kind of at a loss, like, oh, my goodness, what do I do with these? But welcome to the show, Doc. Hey, Andy, it's good to be back. I'm glad you're feeling better. It's great to hear. So um, it's good to be back. And, and I, I will say, you know, you were saying you've done this, you've done this topic before, but mm-hmm. um, it, there's nothing wrong with redundancy. It's good to kind of, you know, every time, um, you know, we, we I study at least in my brain, and, and I work with a lot of vet students. Um, every time we talk about a topic over and over and over again, you pick up, you know, nuance each time. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. There, there is value in, in redundancy. So the, the, the assumption that we, we, know, we know everything already um, just because we talked about it once or even twice before is, is usually mm-hmm. incorrect. So I'm glad, I'm glad we're, we're talking about this topic. And again, it's a really important topic, especially for um, backyard producers. Sure. So we'll let you um, get started, and folks can have that pen and paper and their chicken whisperer notebook and take notes, and uh, we're all ears, Doc. Okay. Well, 
again, really glad you're feeling better, and um, it's uh, always a pleasure to, to talk to you on your show. You're doing a really important work, and it's great that we have uh, people like you that are really trying to disseminate uh, the science and, and um, tell people what we know and, and what we don't know, which is just as important, and um, I'm, I'm glad we have that resource for the public um, yeah. So, you know, this is this is definitely one of those topics where, you know, we talk about lice and mites, which are, are these things called ectoparasites, um, which uh, by definition uh, feed or live on the outside of, of an animal, human, chicken, everything in between. Uh, we get a little itchy and scratchy. So, um, you know, that 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 uh, power of persuasion when we start talking about, you know, fleas and uh, things like that, um, I, I, you know, feel free to start scratching because it, it's just it's just the uh, the nature of that topic. Um, so uh, ectoparasites, which are basically anything that lives on the outside of an animal, ecto means outside, and, and parasite um, is something that, um, fortunately, um, by definition, doesn't try to kill, but but basically just tries to to feed off of. Um, they are relatively common in poultry. And, and I did want to kind of point out ectoparasites, uh, lice, uh, mites, fleas, just in general, anything that's living on the outside, they do have very rapid life cycles. Um, so they can quickly become a problem. Um, and, uh, you know, parasites' job is not to kill the host. So if they kill the host, that means we, we have a, a parasite problem that really got out of control. Um, but, but they can make your, your animals, uh, very uncomfortable, um, you know, from a commercial perspective, um, it, they, they decrease productivity. Um, so big picture, you know, and we're going to talk about prevention, but, but this is where you have a good opportunity. You know, sometimes we, we, I see some of these posts online and people are picking up their chickens and kissing them and doing all those things that, that we know not to do. Um, but when we're thinking about ectoparasites and, and controlling ectoparasites, it is actually a very good idea to pick up your chicken and, and give, them, give them a look from, from head to tail um, because things like uh, lice you can find. You know, there's head lice and wing lice. There's fleas that are all over the body. Um, and then uh, mites, uh, for example, which can be um, more in the vent area. So picking up your chickens daily and just doing spot checks is a really, really good idea. Um, as Andy alluded to, not all mites spend their entire life cycle on on the bird. Um, so um, the northern fowl mite, and we're, I, 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 I'm not going to talk too much about all the names, but I um, because I think I think the most important part is like, man, I, I noticed something on my chicken. What do I do? Um, but the northern fowl mite um, is the one that that actually will spend its entire life cycle. Um, on the bird, um, and they can be bloodsuckers. So um, that can be um, a real problem. And and what you'll sometimes see, and I don't want to go into all the detail yet, but but just to kind of kind of um, get everyone kind of interested in this in this topic and why it's important to kind of pay attention, um, they can um, you know the combs and the waddles of our chickens can actually um, decrease in color. They can actually become anemic um, if you have a, a pretty significant northern fowl mite uh, infestation. Um, there are ways to control this, and, and we'll talk about that in, in a couple minutes. But um, I want to talk, and, and Andy knows me well, 
first thing I usually talk about before we talk about even just the biology of what we're dealing with, the different mites, different types of things, is, is prevention. Um, so prevention, prevention, prevention. What are the things that we can do um, to prevent these ectoparasites from um, ending up on our on our chicken. Um, one thing I did want to mention: there's there's two types of ectoparasites in general. Um, there's the ones that we call on host, and they're the ones that we call off host. So on hosts are the ones that, as the def, as the word implies, they live and feed on the chicken. So that northern fowl mite that I just talked about, for example. They are on host parasites. If you're going to find a northern fowl mite, it's going to be on the chicken. Just to complicate life a little, there are some off host parasites, ectoparasites. And, and the one example that I'll give you is the chicken red mite. And chicken red mites actually um, will, you'll, you'll find them, um, chicken red mites, you'll actually find them um, on the host, but you'll also find them at night. They'll kind of hung, hang out in the nooks and crannies of your coop. And the reason this is important for control, it's important to realize that you're going to have um, um, these parasites. When, when you're dealing with ectoparasites, you can't just think about the bird and prevention. You have to think about the bird and the coop itself. So when we think about prevention, the first thing is is biosecurity because the reality is you have to think, okay, where did my chicken um, pick up these ectoparasites? And typically ectoparasites um, spread from chicken to chicken. They do spread from chicken to chicken and coop to coop um, through contact with birds and people and equipment. So it's really important to have good biosecurity um, to make sure your chickens aren't basically hanging out with other chickens um, and other uh, other chickens um, that that are potentially um, um, carriers of these ectoparasites. Just as importantly, though, um, it's important that you don't share equipment um, from your buddy's um, backyard flock down the road, or that you know someone someone's coming to check out your flock because they want to see you know your new flock or whatever it be. It's really important, again, just to make sure that they are not using the same clothes and shoes um, because that's how um, these ectoparasites can move from flock to flock, not necessarily through a play date, a chicken play date, but through kind of intermediary human. And I think we all know that intuitively, but, but we don't always practice that. And, you know, just that one break in biosecurity can cause um, that kind of scenario. The sure. other thing, which is, 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 I think, really important to kind of point out, too, is, is wild birds. So wild birds are, are definite sources of, of ectoparasites. So it's really important um, when you have your chickens outside, um, it is essential um, that you prevent, for all kinds of reasons, uh, bacteria, viruses, um, you know, whether we're talking about Newcastle disease or avian influenza or salmonella, um, same thing with, with ectoparasites. Wild birds, um, when they interact with our chickens, um, they can cause uh, ectoparasite transmission from the bird, wild bird, to our, um, um, to our, uh, to our own backyard chickens. Um, and then, as I implied earlier, again, when we think about prevention, so we talked about biosecurity, but now we're going to talk a little about husbandry. So it's really important to keep your coop clean. Um, so um, one thing I typically don't like when people change litter during a 
um, when their birds are, are kind of doing well. But if your birds are not doing well, if you have ectoparasites, um, for example, that's a perfect time to clean out the litter um, because for some of those off-host ectoparasites, cleaning out the litter can disrupt the life cycle of some of those parasites. Um, so what I usually tell people is that if your birds are doing fine and you don't notice any ectoparasites, there's no diarrhea, there's no respiratory diseases, et cetera, et cetera, there's no reason to change your litter. Um, in, in fact, I, w I would argue it, it could be counterproductive to change your litter because all the bacteria and things that are then viruses and, and whatnot that are that are in that litter, they're relatively harmless. Your your birds are living kind of um, um, kind of in in concert with those bacteria, and if if you change the litter out, now you've got kind of a blank slate, and you can have the potential to 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 allow new niches of bacteria and parasites to come in, but um, if you notice um, you're having ectoparasite issues, absolutely. This is one of the things to kind of think about. The other thing I would think about is look at your nest boxes. And for those off-host parasites, like that um, chicken red mite that I mentioned, it's really important to make sure that um, your nest boxes, that all the nooks and crannies in those nest boxes are, are cleaned out because that's where those off-host parasites like to hang out. So um, make sure you're, 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 you're thinking kind of holistically. You're not thinking just about the bird. You're thinking about biosecurity. You're thinking about husbandry. Um, you're thinking about kind of all those different kind of things and, and how they kind of um, 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 in, interact with your bird. And then, um, as, as I mentioned, it's really important, you know, when I'm thinking, again, ectoparasites are not ectoparasites. When I walk into a barn, before I walk in, I get quiet and I just try to listen to the birds before they even notice I'm there so I can you know, listen for any abnormal sounds. And the only way you're going to learn what abnormal is is if you just kind of watch your birds, listen to your birds, pay attention to what their poop looks like, all those type of things. And then, you know, when you walk in, they'll, they'll obviously pay a little more attention to you um, but it's important, again, to pay attention to their behavior. Um, are they huddling? Um, are they, you know, is there a certain corner of, of the coop that they like? You know, bird behavior is, is one of the, you know, kind of great challenges of, of commercial poultry um, in the sense that birds, you know, usually like going to a darker place than a lighter place. Um, they huddle for some reason a little more than, than maybe we'd like them to be. Um, that's probably part of their behavior. But my, my point is, is that, you know, bringing it back to ectoparasites is that when you walk into your backyard flock, at least once a week, you need to kind of pick up some birds. Uh, if you only have five chickens, you should be able to pick up all those birds, all five chickens, you know, once a week and, and inspect them. Um, for these ectoparasites. So you're going to go from their head all the way to their tail. And just like in vet school, there's no wrong way. You can go tail to head. You can go wings, head, and then the cloaca. As long as you do it the same time, the same method each time, you know, this type of physical exam is, is probably going to be something you get really good at and really comfortable at. And it's a really important thing to do because you're, you're going to – 
you, you might say after after two years, you might be like, oh, my God, Dr. Petoskey is telling me to take a look at my chickens every once a week. Nothing's happened. But after two years, you know, lo and behold, you might start finding, hey, we've got some, some lice issues or we've got some mite issues. So, you know, the value of, of kind of having that persistence, is it will pay off. And hopefully it never pays off. Hopefully you never have these problems. Um, you, you've, you've heard me talk. Uh, many a times, uh, and I'll say, you know, and I'll say this when I, what's the best thing I could have in my first aid kit? And I'm like, a five-gallon bucket. Or I'll tell folks, one of the most important things <laughs> you can have is a five-gallon five bucket so you can, when you go out to, what are you going to do, feed and water and like inspect, you can turn that bucket over and sit on it and spend time with your chickens. Like you said, observing, uh, seeing, so you can get a norm, see what may be changing. And then, again, doing that inspection of your birds. I mean, it could be anything from even bumblefoot. You know, you walk out there and you're like, oh, I see a chicken that's limping. Uh, let me inspect that bumblefoot. And we've seen some posted online that how in the world did it ever get that far <clears throat> with that size of a bumble? You know, it's, it was incredible. Mm-hmm. And it was just a lack of observation and doing exactly what you're saying. But, yeah, that five-gallon bucket may be the most important thing that you can have in that, that first aid kit to Sit on it, inspect your chickens, observe them, and then also, like you said, do that physical examination. Because in the weight, you, you get used to, okay, this all my chickens weigh good this week. A few weeks later, you pick them up. God, they're light. They're kind of bony. Uh, could be, again, from those um, the red uh, mites, <coughs> northern fowl mites and whatnot that are, that are making them, uh, you know, I guess anemic or what, you know. So you've got a light chicken, or maybe it's internal parasites, a load that's making them lighter, but just by picking them up, you, you've got that weight uh, differential uh, between two weeks ago or four weeks ago that, that you know, where you may not have never known uh, pick, not picking them up on a regular basis. So, yeah, that five-gallon bucket, uh, a lot of people appreciate that. They're like, hey, that's great. I, uh, you know, I'll put some things in the bucket and take it up to my coop, and then I've got it there to turn over and sit on and check out my chickens. So carry on, my friend. Nope, you're you're absolutely right. So having that that patience um, and that persistence is so essential. And you know, veterinarians always laugh when you know the client comes in, and you know they they there's a dog that's got like an abscess the size of like a softball, and they're like, well, this just popped up last night, and it's like, nope, that probably did not just pop up last night. But but you know, it, it's you know, this this there's that saying, chance favors the prepared mind. If if you're if you're if you're looking at your birds, if you're looking at your uh, dairy cow. I'm in California, so we have a lot of dairy cows. Are you looking at your your dog or your horse or whatever it be? If you're looking at them all the time, eventually, you know, you 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 are prepared when something weird happens, and you're not, you know, two weeks later when it it kind of hits you over the head like a sledgehammer. You're you're like, oh wow, I didn't notice that, and that happens, and there's no shame in that. But but we hopefully are are moving toward you know, having everyone be a little more kind of engaged on these type of things. As, as we all know from uh, health on humans and animals, small problems are much easier to solve than big problems. We're pretty good at solving small problems, but once they become big problems, um, that becomes a little more challenging. So before we talk about treatments, because, you know, I, I never want to make anyone feel guilty for, for having, you know, salmonella, ectoparasites, merics, whatever it is, um, you know, sometimes these diseases come in spite of us, not, not because of us. Um, so life happens, and, and no matter how fastidious you are, um, sometimes these things just happen. That's life. Um, but before we talk about kind of some of the potential treatment options, um, 
you know, and, 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 and we've already kind of set the table on biosecurity and husbandry. Um, the last thing I want to mention about those, those weekly inspections, in a perfect world, you want to do some inspections during the day and some inspections at night because of those off-host off parasites like the chicken red mite. That chicken red mite at night, it actually jumps onto the bird, and during the day it goes in the nooks and crannies. So it's just good to kind of, you know, try to try to you're you're playing kind of a game of chess against some of these these ectoparasites. So if you're not always checking the coop and those nooks and crannies, which can be maybe a little harder than checking the birds, it's it's a really good idea to say, okay, I'm going to check my birds um, at night to see if there's, you know, kind of a, a chicken red mite issue, and then sometimes I'm going to check them during the day just to see what I see because during the day you probably see things a little better. So um, just be willing to change that up, um, be flexible. You know, it's like a chess match, um, and, and you got to be, you know, kind of a step ahead of them. Um, so there, there is something to be said for that consistency as far as doing that physical exam, but, but the time that you're doing it doesn't always have to be the same. So before we talk about some treatments um, and preventive treatments, um, if that makes sense, I, I did want to kind of just highlight just a few ectoparasites that, that I, you know, kind of definitely see a lot um, in the commercial world and backyard birds um, mm -hmm. um, are, are, are definitely very susceptible to. Um, just as a kind of background, one of the advantages, so, so I'm not a uh, behavior or welfare specialist, but, um, you know, some people look at cage birds and are like, well, why, why do they do that? Um, and, and one of the advantages, and I'm not, I'm not passing judgment and, and, and saying which one I, I, I like or don't like, that's, that's not what I'm here for, but one of the advantages of having a caged bird system where you don't, where you have kind of these wires um, um, kind of mesh instead of a, 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 a floor with a substrate on it is that um, ectoparasites don't do very well in that kind of environment because Normally, um, uh, ectoparasites do kind of interact with that um, 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 kind of material on the ground. So um, one of the ways that the commercial poultry industry, not so much in California because of the laws that we have, but that the commercial poultry industry has been very successful in controlling ectoparasites in part because of um, these kind of cage systems. So it's just important to realize like everything, there's advantages and disadvantages, and one of the advantages of cage systems is that we don't um, have ectoparasite issues for the most part, um, um, because especially um, um, red mite issues, because they, they, they don't really have anywhere to go off, um, off host. So um, a couple things. So a couple parasites that I commonly see in, in, in backyard birds are, uh, mm -hmm. first one is that chicken red mite that we mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So like that northern foul mite, so you know, chicken red mites and northern foul mites are the two mites that I'm going to talk about. There's others, but those are the, the mm -hmm. two most common. And that northern foul mite is on host and that chicken red mite is off host. Mm -hmm. um, so that chicken red mite member jumps on the chicken at night and, and during the day is usually in the nooks and crannies. And the northern mm -hmm. foul mite on the, on the chicken all the time they both um, get a blood meal from the chicken. Um, so if you do have a heavy infestation, uh, not only will you get a drop in egg production, uh, you'll get some anemia, um, so the decreases in red blood cells, and you'll see that uh, every once in a while. You'll see pale combs, pale wattles, um, and, and you can imagine that, that those birds become uh, somewhat lethargic. So... Um, 
just just be aware um, that um, that that there is the, the, that that can be a significant issue with with both the chicken red mites and the northern foul mites. Um, you'll see them kind of in different areas. Um, they're usually found near the vent, so if you kind of have to separate those uh, tail feathers a little. Um, you know, you can. They're, they're very tiny. They're about a millimeter in length. You can still see them. Um, they're usually almost. It almost looks like just these little um, underneath the wings and in that vent area and in the lower legs. You'll you'll see like black or gray um, or red after they've had their blood meal. Um, these little kernels, tiny little specks, um, and almost looks like what you would think to, you know dust is. Um, so, um, look, like I said, in that vent area, which is typically where I've seen many of them, but you'll sometimes see them in, in the wing area underneath the wings and, and kind of, um, at the, in, in the feet area too. Um, so the other one I wanted to mention, so is, uh, a flea, um, a stick tight flea or poultry flea. Um, so they're found, they, they don't feed, um, on, on the blood, um, but you'll see them attached to kind of where, where feather growth typically occurs. Um, so you'll see them around uh, the head and the neck. You'll see them kind of all over the body, but, but primarily you'll see them in that kind of uh, neck area. Um, and uh, if everyone kind of sort of knows what fleas look like, but they're kind of dark brown that are, that are larger than, um, than mites. Um, and they typically... Um, like I said, they'll, they'll, they'll feed on skin, on feathers, um, and uh, another reason, like an example of why we don't really see fleas in the commercial world, is as we were talking about a little earlier, is because um, the females will drop their eggs into the soil of the litter where those immature larvae can develop. So, again, once you start seeing fleas and um, uh, mites and things like that, that's when it's probably important to consider not only some of the treatments we're going to talk about, but to also consider changing uh, your litter. Sure. Before we talk um, about treatments, I'm going to go to a commercial break whenever you're ready. Okay. Yeah, we can we can switch now, and then we can we can talk about treatments when we get back. Okay. That is. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Are you dealing with a stinky coop or brooder? Backyard chicken owners are loving Chick Fresh. 
Not only does it eliminate the nasty odors, but it also eliminates the dangerous and unhealthy ammonia. You can use Chick Fresh in your coop, brooder, garbage can, litter boxes, and more. Even use it in your spouse's smelly shoes. Get your bottle 15% off today by going to coopcarespecial.com. Take back control and say no to nasty odors. The Yardbird Chicken Plucker takes the hassle out of backyard chicken processing by fully defeathering birds in just 15 seconds. Powered by a 1.5 horsepower electric motor, the Yardbird Chicken Plucker can handle two 8-pound birds at one time, while the built-in irrigation ring keeps your hands free for other butchering tasks. The 20-inch stainless steel drum features 110 rubber plucking fingers that gently remove feathers and dirt without tearing the skin. When butchering is complete, the plucker rinses clean with just soap and water. To learn more or purchase your plucker, visit YardbirdPluckers.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at strombergschickens.com. That's strombergschickens.com. Metzer Farms is now hatching and shipping the premier egg layer. This girl is consistently laying jumbo eggs with a higher nutrient density and lower water content than your eggs now. She is an extremely hardy bird and the most heat and cold tolerant egg layer available, allowing for year-round outdoor production. An eggshell unmatched in sturdiness and thickness, making cracks a thing of the past. Increase your health and double your egg profits. Of course, we're talking about ducks. Duck eggs are revered by chefs for their succulent flavor and by bakers for being the better baking egg. Learn more about this extraordinary duck, the Golden 300, or any of our other 35-plus breeds of ducks and geese at MetzerFarms.com and order your next flock from us. And now we return to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer with your host, Andy Schneider. Our thanks for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer brought to you by Tucker Milling. And hey, I want to... Um, there's one more I want to share. Hey, did you see what I did there? Uh, we're, we, I don't need to take another commercial break. So I said I'll go a little bit longer. It's not drastic on this break, and then we are done for the end of the show. So I got them all played. I just want to mention one more sponsor, American Wood Fibers, and, uh, which does, you know, which I think they're out on Chewy or in but they're odor control things. We've been uh, helping them develop and test here for the last three, almost four years. Uh, that just kind of shows you what's going into these odor control shavings, and we're hoping that before too long, they'll be mass market um, everywhere where you can get these because they are fabulous. Um, but you see a lot of the products in your local farm and feed stores. Um, I personally, depending, because that would be a 35-minute drive from my local mom-and-pop store where I pretty much get everything. But if I need shavings, whether it be for any of our animals, the cows, the goats, the pigs, the rabbits, the goat, the chickens, whatever, 
you know, and I'm thinking, okay, I do need some shavings, but it's a 35-minute drive there, a 35-minute drive back. I'm sitting at a red light. Walmart's right there. Yeah, we all hate Walmart, but we'll still shop at Walmart. You know, don't be a hypocrite. <laughs> we do. Some people are like, no, and they never do. Okay, so a lot of people say they hate Walmart to shop there, and then you walk right in there and get some, you know, beef stew or something. So, um, but hey, you know, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to get my uh, pine wood shavings uh, for my coop or whatever animals I have here because it's right there. It's outside my window, and I don't have a 70-minute drive going out to where my, my really my favorite store is. I support my local mom and pop with all my peanuts. So you can find the American Wood Fiber products, both their cedar shavings and pine wood shavings there in your local Walmart. They're Ingles, for Pete's sake. Um, I was standing in line one day, and I turned around, and there was these big bottles of uh, uh, shavings right behind me from American Wood Fibers. And then, of course, Walmart. And they're even in your um, – a lot of people may be buying this already uh, in your local store. But primary Walmart, if you go into a Walmart, those are the um, that's the company. You'll be supporting American Wood Fiber for your pine wood shavings. Let's talk about treatment. I know that, um, like, I was, in fact, I was talking to Patrick um, Haley today, this morning. We had a nice meeting. <coughs> Pardon me. And um, for 12 years, I know it's been on the market. And uh, I know that Manapro relabeled his product. I think they still do. Uh, and you'll find it today the tractor supplies. And, and, of course, even in the mom and pop stores, of course. And it's called... Um, protector. He uses enzymes that you spray on the bird that kind of, uh, when it hits the exoskeleton of that um, <coughs> mite lice, it, you know, dries it out, breaks it up, makes it crack and, and kills the uh, um, uh, ectoparasite. And so that, a lot of people, we talked about it, you know, let's face it, uh, um, a lot of people will say, well, what, what can I do all naturally? And the first two are going to come up because it's been out for a while are the carefree enzymes a poultry protector, which uses enzymes, or diatomaceous earth. Those always seem to be the first two uh, that are mentioned as far as all natural. <laughs> and then people will decide whether it worked for them or not, and then they'll say, okay, this didn't work. I need the good stuff. I need the hard stuff. Uh, I need the octane. And what, what else can I do in my vet or that I can get at the store? It's not, it's not going to be maybe all natural. I need to get my birds. So um, yeah, let's talk about all these different types of um, treatments that you may recommend, may not recommend, uh, our first go-to and, and all of that, Doc. Yeah, so I, I, I certainly, you know, empathize with people that, you know, they just want to solve the problem and, and there is kind of a little panic sometimes uh, and they want to just jump to the kind of nuclear option. Um, and and hopefully, you know, one thing about parasites, very rarely do parasites kill um, because then the parasite doesn't have a host. So um, unless we're dealing with a horrible infection or infestation, like it, it's it's usually just a annoying thing that we just have to deal with. Um, so I, I really do want to kind of highlight that that reality that um, you don't have to go nuclear. Um, you know, a lot of this is just the grinding of you know everyday good husbandry and when something happens and, and you've got a um uh, fleas or mites we didn't talk too much about lice but the same type of thing ectoparasites you know they they're you know kind of little things that move around on the skin um, they're underneath the wings um, and uh, don't eat skin more than they eat blood, so they're they're not as, as serious an issue. But when we're dealing with that, the stuff that I'm going to talk about works. 
Um, but, you know, people don't always want to have to change their litter and have to clean out their coops and get rid of, you know, all that dander and dust and, and, and things like that. Um, but, but I am going to go over a couple treatments. Um, so it, it's always nice to identify what you're dealing with. So, um, you know, understanding um, just big picture mites are just these usually, um, you know, very kind of small one millimeter kernels basically that are red or black or gray um and and you'll you'll typically also see um depending on whether they're on host or off host you'll 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 see them um either on the bird all the time or um also um um off the bird in those kind of nooks and crannies of your coops that's why it's really important one of the challenges backyard poultry owners have is that they seem to have like a flock continuously in the same coop continuously. So it's really hard to clean, to have that really heavy-duty clean. Um, so in the commercial world, they'll do this kind of all-in, all-out thing. So when all those birds are taken out of the um, out of the barn, they can do that deep, heavy clean. Um, and that's one of the ways you can kind of – and then they'll wait, you know, two, three weeks sometimes until they reintroduce birds from the next flock. So that helps you break life cycles and things like that, of things like ectoparasites. So – in a perfect world, it, it, it's important to try to accomplish that, um, whether you need to have like a backup barn or, or whether you need to have, um, you know, just on a Sunday, move the chickens to, to you know, a cor- another corner of your yard and just clean everything out and start fresh again um, once a year is probably something important to kind of consider. Um, as far as treatment, so we haven't talked too much about diatomaceous earth, so that's the first thing I want to talk about. Um, so diatomaceous earth works uh, very well against mites. That's kind of what it's that all the research has kind of been focused on. Um, there is some, even from, you know, some of the um, entomologists that I work with, um, it does seem to probably have some efficacy against other ectoparasites. Um, so diatomaceous earth gets used by the organic poultry industry because they can't use some of the, the more, the harsher chemicals. Um, and, um, you know, the, the producers that I've chatted with about it, um, kind of swear by it. Um, it's been very, if it's used correctly, um, it actually has a lot of efficacy. So the important things I want to point out, you, you need, you can't just sprinkle it on the ground. Um, it needs to be, at least the, the research suggests, it needs to be kind of in a litter box, in a contained litter box, and you want a ratio of one part DE, one part diatomaceous earth, to four parts sand. Um, and that diatomaceous earth should be food-grade diatomaceous earth. Um, and um, when the birds dust bathe in it, um, there's all kinds of ideas on exactly what's going on and how it's killing um, um, mites primarily, um, but it does seem to control, reduce, and and or eliminate the, the, the mite population. Now, one thing I want to point out, because um, uh, I, on a, a YouTube video that I made, I did mention the same kind of diatomaceous earth, and someone kind of pushed back saying, whoa, DE is very, um, you know, it's bad for lungs, and, and people, you shouldn't be promoting that. I do agree. Diatomaceous earth is very volatile. That just means it aerosolizes very easily. And um, it, it's a very fine aerosol, um, and fine particulate matter has a way of going into the lower lung. So if um, you are going to work with DE, um, you should have like an N95 mask on. Um, the reality is, is that so I think the person was kind of trying to, or people have tried to imply that well, you shouldn't be around DE at all. 
and and my own feeling is like the only time you really need to be cautious is is when you're mixing it. Um, after that, you know, when your birds are dust bathing, you probably don't want to be there. But but it would it would take a lot of exposure um, to to cause you know some kind of chronic respiratory issue. Um, but just be aware that the DE is very volatile and, and that you shouldn't have especially young and old lungs uh, near that at all. Did anybody um, that was po- did anybody that was posting that because we hear that a lot on the uh, chicken groups and chicken forms and whatnot. But but were there any comments? Most of those that sound like were I'm I'm concerned with my lungs as a human. But did anybody post about well what about the lungs? and the airway of the chickens because they're right down in the stuff. Any comments on yeah, that? Yeah, there was a comment on that, and, and kind of my response to that at this point is that we just don't know. So when uh-huh. I talk to pathologists in the CAF lab in our California Animal Health and Food Safety Lab, and they get a lot of backyard birds submitted, and when, mm-hmm. a, when a dead chicken is submitted, let's say it's Merrick's disease, the most common kind of disease mm-hmm. that we typically deal with in backyard birds, those pathologists will still do a full necropsy. So they'll look at the air sacs and the lungs and the liver and the gut, even though, you know, that, that doesn't, for the most part, have too much to do with Merrick's disease. So when they do all of that, um, I've ne- I, when I've talked to pathologists about that a little, I'm like, have you ever noticed, like, any you yeah. know, abnormalities <laughs> in the lungs or air sacs in any of these backyard birds? And the answer is always no, that, that, that uh-huh. you know, when they do find disease, it, it, it's an infectious, you know, we're dealing with mycoplasma or we're mm-hmm. dealing with, you know, some kind of respiratory um, kind of issue unrelated to kind of the inflammatory kind of chronic response that you would probably get from, from continual exposure to DE. Um, there aren't any good studies on it. I've, I've looked into it, at least on, on poultry. It's an interesting question. I, I you know, like all things, it's almost like you're triaging, you know, what, what you're dealing with. There is a hypothetical mm-hmm. issue, I agree, with the DE, um, but we just haven't seen any evidence to suggest that that risk is greater than the risk of ectoparasites, which we know is a big problem um, and is a welfare issue, a production issue, um, et cetera, et cetera. None of these ectoparasites are zoonotic, so they're not an issue for us. But but I, I understand the concern, but I just haven't seen any evidence to suggest that it, mm-hmm. it, it is it's, it's completely warranted. That being said, like I said originally, if you're going to use DE, uh, make sure you have an N95 on, it, and 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 also uh, make sure there's no young or old lungs near that. And, you know, if you're exposed a, a, a little, you know, for the most part, most of us, the exposure has to be pretty, it's, it's, you're, you're, you're really running into this more of, of a chronic exposure issue than, mm-hmm. a, than, a, than a, you know, one time, like, you know, I walked in there and the bird was dust bathing. Um, that being said, um, ventilation is really important. So, so you should, your, your bird should have good ventilation. You should have good ventilation of that coop. So, so ventilation is, is a key, and um, I, I think we probably don't spend enough time actually talking about that. So if you don't have a well-ventilated um, coop or barn, uh, wearing masks is the next best thing. Great. Okay, good. Um, so the next thing I want to talk about was fleas, because um, what we do, we've done some surveys um, in backyard um uh, flocks in Southern California with a uh, um, entomologist, and fleas seem to be actually the most common ectoparasite that we see um, in backyard birds, at least in in that climate of, of Southern California. 
Um, so depending on the number of birds you have, you can actually um, spot treat um, adult fleas with a Q-dip, a Q-tip dipped in uh, either Vaseline or mineral oil or even some of the permethrins. Um, and the reason I suggest those three is they work, A, and B, they do not have withdrawal periods. So that leads to, you know, the discussion of uh, drugs like fipronil, which is the chemical name or the drug name for um, flea control in dogs and cats or in dogs uh, frontline. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I, I have been in, in kind of backyard meetings where, where people have said, I've used Frontline, and Frontline works great against your mites and your fleas that, that come on chickens. I do not doubt that at all. Frontline's awesome. That being said, um, in, in our world, we don't eat our dogs. So um, it, we, when we do eat our chickens, chickens are considered food animals, and because uh, we don't know – um, what the withdrawal period is for fipronil, um, we do not, we legally can't, but aside from legally, you know, just from a food safety perspective, um, I never recommend the use of, of front lines. Even people that say, I'll just take a, a little spot, I'll just take the Q-tip and, and dip it um, into the, into the, um, the, mm-hmm. know, the, the bottle of front line and then I'll stick it on the, on the neck of the chicken and boom, you know, voila, you know, a few days later, everything looks great. Certainly don't doubt that. Uh, but the problem is, is that now the meat and the eggs from that, um, from that bird, we just don't know at what point you're, you're not getting any fipronil in there. And there was, I think back in like 2017, you're, some of your listeners might be familiar with, with this, um, in Denmark, actually, um, uh, not Denmark, excuse me, it was, it was the Netherlands, um, there was a huge um, um, kind of, uh, issue where fipronil uh, was given to, um, you know, I, I, I think millions of hens, um, oh, gee. Oh, and and it ended up in the eggs actually for ectoparasite control. Um, so I'm not exactly sure how that happened, you know, where the the breakdown in in, in kind of things were, but they they did, you know, the, the system worked in the sense that they did find um, fipronil in eggs. Uh, that were commercially being sold, um, and um, if, from what I can recall, you know, it, it was it was it was an issue where these eggs now were being transported all over Europe, um, and they had to do all the kinds of recalls, mm, yeah. and um, it was it was a big issue. So, not exactly sure all the the <laughs> you know kind of the the reasoning behind how that happened. But they detected it in there, and and you know one of the reasons that that people have backyard birds is is that they want to make sure that they're having a healthy product that doesn't have any chemicals in it. So some people, you know, are are, are skeptical of of where their food comes, and and the, right. the main you know kind of from surveys, the main thing that they're skeptical about is like I don't want any hormones or chemicals or whatever it is. Antibiotics and all that. Egg. Yeah, exactly. So I don't yep. understand the logic of why you would use Cipronel then. Um, to solve an ectoparasite issue when um, diatomaceous earth, good husbandry, good biosecurity, permethrins, Vaseline, mineral oil, those are all effective mm-hmm. things that we know work that don't have withdrawal periods. If, you're, if anyone has any questions on that, we've got a, an amazing resource called mm-hmm. FARAD, the Food yep. Animal Residue Avoidance Databank. 
Um, so Lisa Tell from UC Davis is kind of the mm-hmm. FARAD kind of guru um, at the at the vet school here. But I think uh, there's at least three other vet schools across the country that have uh, a FARAD um, kind of vet school kind of interaction. This is um, you know this is what your tax dollars pay for. So this is, there is, if you type in Farad and Backyard Poultry, there's some great resources. The website's actually been kind of reconstructed and is, is, is um, I, I think, much easier to navigate than it previously was. They err on the side of caution, which I think is important. Um, 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 so I think, and, and the other thing I really wanted to mention is that if the website is clunky or you don't, you know, kind of, you're like, oh, I still got another question, you can actually call Farad. You can email Farad. Um, and talk to these talk to these folks. So this is, you know, from my perspective, your tax dollars at work here. So when you do have questions and you're like, well, I just want a spot of Steven or I want to see if, um, oh, what's the drug I'm thinking of? Um, there's a there's another drug that gets um, sprayed that for some reason. Um, um, I'm trying to remember it. I'll remember it in a second, but for some reason, we actually don't even have, it used to be Seven, excuse me. So a drug like Seven, which we used to, uh, used to be formulated for birds, and you can actually spray on the birds for, um, for mite control. Seven is no longer, they don't, they don't make a dose that's formulated for birds anymore. So Farad, and this is a little sad because Stephen used to be, you know, relatively effective. Um, Farad now recommends not using Stephen because we don't have a formula that's commercially available, to the best of my knowledge, um, that's commercially available for birds. So, again, it goes to, you know, kind of risk management. But but if the reason that that you have your backyard birds, aside from their entertainment value and their pets, and and you want to expose, you know, your children to, you know, kind of how food is made and all those great Mm -hmm. things. But the other reason, one of the other reasons we do this is because we want our food to be safe and healthy and to know where it comes from. Um, And and we want to prevent uh, any chemicals from getting in our food. Uh, You know, using things like, like Seven that are not formulated for birds, using um, uh, Frontline, um, uh, which is the, the commercial name for, for Fipronil. Um, those are the kinds of things that are just, just you just start running into, um, you know, there, there's a reason that we don't want you to use them. Um, you're going to start exposing yourself and your loved ones um, to, to, to chemicals that, that, you know, they probably don't need. And I can tell you, you know, as a researcher, we just know so little about what the toxic levels of a lot of these drugs are. Um, you know, we do a lot of work in our lab on lead, and we know a lot about lead, but when you start looking at some of these other chemicals and exposure and at what point in, for different age groups and if you're pregnant or not pregnant, at what point some of these chemicals are harmful, there's really not very much information on it. We know a lot more about salmonella and E. coli's and Merrick's and all those type of things, but when it comes to kind of toxicology, as one of my toxicology professor uh, friends told me a while ago, toxicology is kind of like the poor stepchild of food safety. It just doesn't get as much resources and as much money. So mm-hmm. because of that, my, my, my recommendation to folks is to err on the side of caution, right? Um, you know, if, let's say, you had a um, you know, horrible outbreak and, and that resulted in some mortality, 
um, you know, that, that does happen. And in the commercial poultry industry, sometimes we just got to start over again. We've got to clean and disinfect everything, um, learn our lessons, start over and, and, and go from there. So I, I think those are the, the, you know, the things that you have to sometimes, those are the decisions you sometimes have to make. Um, but, but it's way better than, than making, you know, kind of, I think a, um, you know, this decision, oh, I'm just going to use a spot of Fipronil and see what happens. And I, mm-hmm. It's going to work. I promise you. And I wish it worked and we didn't have any of the food withdrawal issues. That would be right. Certainly make my my life a lot easier when I'm giving recommendations to people, but but it's important stuff. And like I said, that Farad, you know, that you can actually talk to them is is just this amazing resource um, that that we all have access to. Yeah, it really is great. And um, going back to that, I completely agree. I mean, you, you're being realistic, which we've always been on the show, and kind of telling it like it is. It's you know, you're talking about using using the front line on your chickens, and there again, there may be somebody out there that says, hey. I've got six, I'm the only one eating them. I'm willing to take that risk, you know, but when you get into giving them to your neighbor or maybe selling them at, you know, at the end of your driveway or, or sharing them with people at church and you've done that, that's when the risk comes through. If you want to ignore the risk possible, let me put them possible, there are possible risks for your own body and you just make that decision, <clears throat> totally get it, but I'm the only one eating my eggs or me and my wife or whatever and they just choose to eat them. I think we all agree that you know that's that's your call. You've made that decision. You're uh, an adult, <laughs> but you know when you get into giving them to your neighbor, selling them at the roadside, you know, giving them to friends at church, that's when that that bigger risk comes into play. If you're using these things that again don't have that official egg withdrawal and whatnot, and to, and to further comment on what you said about a lot of the backyarders that you know I'm doing this to have a healthier food supply for my family. You know, I don't want the they go down that list hormones, antibiotics, you know, uh, whatever you know, all that case may be, but but it, and, and it's kind of laughable to me when I'm <clears throat> going down in these blogs or forums, and they're like, I, I saw one of my chickens sneeze one time. What antibiotic do I need at Tractor Supply? Yeah. And, and, and yeah, yeah I'm sure. I mean, this is no secret. Everybody in these chicken forums on Facebook see this. My chick, I saw my chicken sneeze one time. What what antibiotic do I need? Is it is it Thailand, Thailand 50, Thailand 200? Is it erythromycin? All this stuff. And they're like, they immediately want to run and get this antibiotic. But, you know, two months later, earlier, when they were getting chickens, oh, yeah, what the chickens, no antibiotics, no hormones, all natural, organic, no, no GMO. <laughs> and now the first thing they do when they see that chicken sneeze is, oh, i got to get them some antibiotics. So, yeah, you're <laughs> – it's it's it's, uh, it's entertaining a lot of the time. Like, wait, wait, didn't you just say? So, um, not picking on anybody, but because y'all, everybody out there listening sees this every single day in those blogs and and uh, forums. So there, we got some treatments um, for, and and maybe some treatments we really want to use for that egg withdrawal um, reasoning. Um, any other treatments before we move on? Um, no other treatments. The one thing I'm, I'm not familiar with the enzymes, so I, I just can't comment on that, but I can, sure. I can look into that and get back to you. Um, mm-hmm. the one thing I would say too, so I, I live in California and we've had some epic fires the last couple of years. And what mm-hmm. ends up happening is, uh, people have to abandon their birds or they have to get rescued, whatever it be. And, and we have these staging grounds where we've got, you know, thousands of, of backyard chickens from different locations and, and no mm-hmm. one ever you know, takes them and they get adopted out. So mm-hmm. when people say like, well, I, it's just for me, like I get that logic. I, I totally get right, it. Right. And, and, you know, but, but the reality is, is that man, when, when, when disasters happen, fires and floods and stuff like that, a lot of the times mm. none of these animals go 
go claimed and and now someone else is like kind of counting on on assuming that that whoever had that bird beforehand you know wasn't doing anything sketchy with this type of stuff so it's mm-hmm. I, I understand the logic of like well it's just me and and you know yeah. i want to you know it's my own decision i, I get that I, I really do but but you have to also realize you know that that sometimes weird stuff happens, fires and floods, and then you don't have your chickens, or you're 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 forced to evacuate, and someone else just gets it, and 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 you know then you're hopefully, um, you know they're assuming yeah. that 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 best practices were followed. So just just that important great, to kind of think about the big picture. That is a great counteract to that scenario. Of, well, it's just me, and um, which is fantastic because now I can utilize that when I hear that again, um, because we know there's a lot of people out there that have that that um theory uh but it couldn't even less drastic one that you just you know um explained depending on how you look at it maybe you have a couple that now is divorcing and they have to get rid of their chickens you know i just want to give them away to good homes da, 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 and maybe they used some of these things that didn't have an egg withdrawal and you as the new owner i can't imagine them telling you oh yeah we use frontline all the time they're not going to indulge in all that kind of stuff yeah we use this worm or no egg withdrawal or lifetime egg withdrawal or whatever they're just like you know, take care of my babies, you know, you know, whatever the case may be. We see that a lot. I can't take care of them anymore, getting the forest, removing, you know, free flock or whatever. That's an excellent um, scenario that now I can use uh, when I see some of those posts uh, about that or when someone says, oh, it's just me. And boy, how many times mm-hmm. has this scenario happened? That's great. See, that's why I like this show, too, because now here's something that I can use when I see that scenario as well. Yep, and, and, and the last thing I just wanted to point out really quickly is that, um, you know, when you're a young whippersnapper veterinarian, it, your, your gut <laughs> is to always do something, right? You want to treat the animal mm-hmm. and, and feel like you did something and the owner is happy and you're, you're kind of like, okay, I did it, right? And, and what really shows maturity and, and, and expertise is the kind of, you know, older vet who's like, eh, let's we'll just let it go, right? And, and, and sometimes there's value in that. Sometimes there's value in, you know, saying, okay, we're going to double down on husbandry and biosecurity, and I'm going to go out, and we're, I'm going to go out to your barn, I'm going to go out to your coop, and we're going to walk through it step by step by step, but we're not going to jump into, you know, all these scripts that I'm going to write you right now. Man, I tell you, it is so much fun as a vet to, you know, to write a script and, 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 you know, kind of feel like you've done something. I get it. But, but sometimes, and I, you know, there's, there's, I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing a quote, you know, it's that kind of that maturity of like, eh, let's just watch it for a little and let's, 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 let me go out and let's take a look. Let's walk through. So sometimes having that extra pair of eyes to kind of walk through a barn is so valuable. Um, just because it's, 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 there's, there's, there's value in having that perspective and someone else kind of walking you through it and, and kind of calming you down also. So you don't just kind of, you know, jump to like, man, I need to, you know, get all these crazy chemicals or, you know, try apple cider vinegar or whatever it is. Um, it's good to just have that, that person next to you kind of, kind of holding, um, you know, putting a hand on your shoulder. It happens. It happens in human, um, Health as well. I'll give you a perfect, perfect example of the young whippersnapper and then the, and the very, very, very expensive, uh, I mean, extensive and experienced surgeon. So uh, I was sitting in the ER and after the CT and all this kind of stuff, this was like within 10 days, 14 days. And the young whippersnapper surgeon comes in, you know, or, or maybe attending, whatever it was, you know, very young, comes in and she sits down next to me. She puts her hand on my hand. It's going to be a lot to take, Mr. Schneider. And then she goes through this this plan 
uh, of action. And I mean, it includes like four pretty intense surgeries over maybe a six week period. First, we're going to do this. We have to do this and let that heal. Then we can go back in and do this and then, and then fix that problem. And then we can go back and reverse this and fix that. And, and, and then finally, we can go back in and fix this last problem, all this intense stuff. Um, and, and then she kind of, you know, explained it all to me. I'm like, Hey, whatever you got to do, you got to do, um, out of my control. And, uh, she left and I kind of gathered my thoughts and was getting ready to call my wife and give her all this information, kind of drop the bomb on her. And then <coughs> five, 10 minutes later, she comes in, she's, she's got a phone up to her ear <laughs> and, uh, hmm. she's holding her finger, holding her finger up, like, hold on. She p- figured I was talking to my wife. She said, so I said, Hey, I'll call you right back. She, she sat down and she says, uh, you're going to be so happy, Mr. Schneider, because it was like, you know, we're going to admit you and do this and then this and this, you know, well, and uh, she says, um, you're going home today. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So the chief surgeon, uh, when she was explaining what she had just kind of went through with me being the young whippersnapper, which, which really wasn't wrong. It was, you know, if, if normally patients that present with what I had are in probably really poor condition or maybe older in age or whatever. And that, that's just kind of the, the generic roll off the tongue. This is what we're going to do for you. So I can't blame her there, but, it, but she was said, she told me this word for word when I was talking to the chief surgeon, when I told her what I was saying, he, he came back and was like, no, kind of like a scream, like, no. And then he was like, no, he's going home. He's going to take antibiotics orally for two weeks. He's going to come back in two weeks. We're going to reevaluate. And then we're going to do this procedure a month later, and then we'll do one surgery to fix all this stuff. So it, I, I, when you <laughs> mentioned that, it reminded me exactly of that. We had this new kind of whippersnapper, and she got caught up in, you know, all these problems and all this surgery I'm going to be involved in, all this stuff, because that was kind of maybe routine for the typical patient, but someone who's pretty much perfect health other than just, just kind of one set of symptoms, it threw her for a loop. And then that's when the surge, the head surgeon was like, "No, this guy's perfectly sent him home." You know, and, you know so uh, that reminded me of that. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> and you see in that in that field, like, oh, I got to write a prescription, or let me treat this, let me feel like I'm, you know, doing you know my my veterinary duties and write that prescription and help you out and get a solution and makes me feel good. <laughs> so that was a that was a good one. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on today. I think this was great, great review. Um, on mites and lice, whether it's uh, the listener was a, a newbie, just got chickens of spring, or an experienced, and, and got a lot of insight on uh, treatment. I don't know if we've had uh, talked about so many treatments in, in a show uh, on this topic before, so that was great that we got into treatments. I know a lot of times when you have uh, poultry veterinarians on, or anybody for that matter, scientists, nutritionists, but especially the vets, a lot of times they're a little bit cautious about mentioning treatments and things like that. I get it. Um, you know, maybe the best solution for a lot of these topics we do is, you know, you probably need to see a vet for this. And I can't just say, hey, do this or give that. It wouldn't be ethical um, under my license and whatnot. So having some treatment plans, uh, both natural and, and, and the other, is um, was very, very beneficial, I thought, in, in the show as well. So thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. If you really like it when Dr. Pateski comes on, he's here normally the second Thursday of every single month, and you can see his articles in every single issue. Oh, that reminds me. Every single issue of Chicken Whisperer magazine. And i got to share this with you. It's so timely. <clears throat> this morning, if you subscribe, this morning the digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine came out to thousands and thousands of subscribers' emails. And then if you do the physical edition in your mailbox, it'll be out here probably in the next seven to ten days in your mailbox. But I know your article you did for the fall issue was kind of curing boredom in chickens. 
and, and when we initially discussed this, I'm like, is this even a thing? I mean, people putting swings and hanging cabbages in there. I mean, do, do chickens really get bored? First, let's answer that question, you know. And um, you answer that pretty much first in the first couple of lines of the article. Well, lo and behold, Doc, <laughs> soon after I, I opened that and read that, on one of these Facebook forums, there was, what do y'all do in the coops and runs to prevent boredom? And then there was a bunch, not a bunch, but a few people, chickens don't get bored. They're chickens. They're not humans. They're scratching. They don't, who cares about boring all this stuff? And I said, well, you might want to read this article by poultry veterinarian, Dr. Potesky, about boredom and um, chickens being bored. So it was perfect timing. So, uh, but thanks for that. It was, it was a great article, and I'm glad it's in there. So uh, you've got some fans out there that listen to the show. Second, Tuesday, second Thursday of every month. And then uh, in every issue of Chicken Whisperer Magazine, you can see his work. And every single article he's ever done, you can see at chickenwhisperermagazine.com. Uh, so thanks for coming on today. We appreciate it. Um, have a great weekend, and uh, we'll see you next month. Great. Good talking, Andy. You too. Thank you. <laughs> Pardon me. You can see I've been talking for an hour until my uh, little cough starting to come back. But thank you very much for listening. And, hey, you can subscribe. Totally free, the digital edition. Free. So, so why haven't you subscribed yet? Totally, totally free. Articles from poultry veterinarians, poultry scientists, poultry nutritionists, not me just blabbing about my experience keeping chickens. Um, true expert material. Chickenwhisperermagazine.com. Sign up for the free digital edition. Free. Did I stress that? Free. If you want a physical magazine to have filed uh, and take notes in and sticky notes and things like here on a Saturday in the rain and read a real magazine, Nine ninety-five a year. I challenge you. Compare that to any other chicken magazine in the Tractor Supply, in the Barnes and Noble uh, subscriptions, whatever. Look at that price. Four issues for nine ninety-five. Compare that price per issue with the other uh, chicken. Whisp- and then look who's writing for the other chicken whisp- uh, chicken magazines that are out there. Um, I've often said this that if you look at the other chicken magazines, uh, by far ninety-nine percent of the articles. Uh, if you have a pulse and poultry and a pen, they will let you write for them. So there's no guarantee what's in that information is even correct or accurate um, just because they're offering you their opinion because they've kept chickens for six months. So, And you can do that observation on yourself. I just want to plant that seed in your brain to take a look at who's writing for those magazines and who's writing for a chicken whisperer magazine. Um, so, Because I think that's very important that you get the right information uh, because, again, you love your flock. You spend a lot of time with them. And um, it's one of those things where uh, it's important to you and worth the time. So thanks for tuning in today. We'll see you next Thursday right here. This has been Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tucker Milling, with your host, Andy Schneider. For more information, find us on the web at chickenwhisperer.com, on Facebook by typing in The Chicken Whisperer, on Twitter at Backyard Poultry, and on Instagram at The Real Chicken Whisperer. Thanks for listening.